Franchising is the most misunderstood and most overlooked form of entrepreneurship. We're here to educate you and help you find the entrepreneur within. Franchising is not all about the French fries. We find that individuals who are exploring business ownership tend to have a lot of misperceptions and misunderstandings about the franchise industry. So what we want to do is help prospective business owners make confident and educated decisions before moving forward or not moving forward with the business. Welcome to Unpredicted Entrepreneur. Hello and welcome to episode 30 of Unpredicted Entrepreneur. My name is Sarah Wasco and I am joined by my colleague Roxanne Rapsky. We are with FranNet of Dallas, Fort Worth and Oklahoma and we created this podcast really to discuss um, all things franchising and really just bring value to anybody who might be considering business ownership and specifically franchise ownership. Today, I would like to welcome our guest, Kelsey Stewart. Kelsey is the CEO of a franchise called Bloom and Blinds. And Kelsey, welcome. And um, please just thank you so much for joining us and just tell us a little bit about your background and the company, and we'll just go from there. Okay, you bet. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, so, Kelsey, um, CEO, one of the founders of Bloom and Blinds. And uh, ultimately, we are a window covering company. So we sell and install and notably repair uh, all kinds of window coverings. Um, that repair element is unique in the industry. We're just about the only ones city by city and certainly on a nation nationwide level that will put them back together even if we didn't sell them. Mm -hmm. And so our franchise owners are mobile units. Um, they may or may not be home-based. Maybe they're in a small commercial warehouse. But the general day-to-day -day activity is traveling to uh, a customer, residential or commercial, uh, helping them through consultation to pick out new products, returning to install those products, and then repairing ones whether we sold them or not. And then you rinse and repeat that as much as possible. Oh. And we met you at a recent conference. You are oh. fairly new to FranNet's inventory, so we're super excited to have you as part of our portfolio. And I remember when I first learned about your company, how intrigued I was about how the company got started, because it literally your mother started the company right. and literally started in the garage. So <laughs> tell us... <laughs> like so many stories. Yes. So tell us that background story. Yeah. So the whole thing started back in Seattle. Uh, that's where we grew up, and I went to high school and college. And um, it, during my high school uh, time, I don't know, tenure, whatever, um, mom saw a blind cleaning machine in the newspaper and thought she was going to rule the world cleaning blinds. <laughs> She's a bit of an entrepreneur. And so she went out and got this tank and started putting advertisements in the newspaper for blind cleaning. And I grew up throughout high school with drying racks in the garage. We couldn't put cars in the garage not because of stuff, but because of other people's blinds being hung to dry in our garage. So she removed them to clean yeah. them? Okay. Oh, wow. This was an inefficiency we later fixed. Okay. But ultimately, she would go out to the house or the business, grab the blinds, bring them back to the house, clean them, hang them to dry. This is before we learned how to dry them. And then return them back to the property. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So wait, was she kind of, she was kind of mechanical then because she's was she uninstalling and reinstalling them herself? Yeah, but window coverings just simply have a bracket. Okay. So at that point, she wasn't selling; she was just simply doing the maintenance side of it, cleaning, and then eventually it evolved into repair. Gotcha. And um, so there is a bit of a mechanical element, but extraordinarily light. Okay. 
So how did you evolve into repairs then from that? Right. So early on, she set off to be a blind cleaner, but most of the response she got from her advertisements was for blind repair. And um, that wasn't her original intent. She wasn't prepared for that. But never wanted to say no. Uh, She sought out blind repair parts. Um, They don't sell them at Home Depot. And so initially she didn't have a source. So she would go to yard sales. She would go to thrift stores. She would look for piles on the side of the road. And somehow, some way she scavenged up enough parts to begin to do blind repair from old, old product. And she was transparent about that, but there's no parts available. Um, eventually she tracked down a couple local manufacturers in the Seattle area and went to them to ask to buy parts of which they said, no. If I sell you parts, people won't buy my blinds. Mm. Right. So again, not one to be told no. She waited until those businesses closed, went around the back, jumped in the dumpster, literally in the dumpster. So she dumpster dived. She dumpster dove. dove. (laughs) Dumpster dove. And started pulling labels to figure out the suppliers that these manufacturers were buying from. Wow. And we still use some of those suppliers today. Um, So that's when she began to develop uh, the capacity to widely repair blinds. The truth is blinds are way more generic than the general public knows. They may have different stickers. They may be different colors. They may look different, but the guts inside are pretty uniform. Mm. Um, And that gives us the ability to repair them even though we didn't install them. Gotcha. So then she took off and uh, she ran that business, which was in Seattle. It's called Blind Ambitions. still in business. So if you're in Seattle, hit them up. Um, And uh, she ran that for about seven years. And then uh, after divorce, sold her business, sold her house, and moved to Dallas with a girlfriend. And that's where Bloom and Blinds got started. So that being said, you're in high school and you're watching your mom do all of this. Were you thinking, this is, I want to go into this business too, or I want to help mom, or did you have any clue what she was doing? Well, I was aware in the fact that there was there were blinds hanging in our garage and I knew mom was responsible for that. Um, the idea of a business and the concept and what it took to run a business, I didn't have a clue. Um, now my parents have always been entrepreneurs. I've never seen them have a nine to five job. My dad's a dental technician. He makes the crowns and bridges that a dentist would put in your mouth. Okay. And so he owns his own practice building those for the dentists. And my mom has had a number of different businesses from children, clothing stores to taking baked pizza restaurants before it was popular um, and, uh, and then of course a blind company. And so that entrepreneurial spirit was always in me. Um, my first business, I was in seventh grade selling candy out of my backpack because <laughs> there was an underground market for candy and I was a new kid in school and I realized I could make friends <laughs> and they would come to me. I didn't have to go to them. So I started a candy selling business at seven in seventh grade. Well, because no parent sends, puts candy in their kid's backpack. Of course and not. And they want to get right. their hands on some. But, right. kid, but kids can always grab a quarter yeah. and get three atomic fireballs. Yes. And you're super popular at that point because you're the atomic fireball yeah. kid. And right? I was the new kid. I, had, I knew nobody. So I used that as a path to begin to build you know, connections and people. Right. And, and most importantly, they came to me. I didn't have to go to them. There you go. There um, you go. So you moved to Texas. Your mom sold Blind Ambitions. So what happened there? She had to start fresh in Dallas, right? Right. Okay. So she had a girlfriend that lived in Dallas, and the girlfriend's like, look, just come down here and hang out with me. She's divorced. She wants out of town. So she packs up everything and moves to town. Gets to town, 
with the intent of redoing this. This has been a good business for her. She's intending to do it again. And there's not a blind cleaning and repair company in Dallas at the time. Okay. okay. So there's an opportunity. Well, she gets to town and goes to register her company name as Blind Ambitions, but that's already registered in Texas. Mm-hmm. Problems. Especially since the Yellow Pages ad was due in six days. And at that time, this is 2001. Like, if you weren't in the Yellow Pages, you didn't exist. Yep. So she had to get that ad in or she's dormant for a year. Wow. Right? So Blind Ambitions is not available. That's a problem. The only other name she had on the tip of her tongue was Bloomin' Blinds. And it's a great story. So I'll take time to tell it. Yes, please. Yes, please. I thought you might ask. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Back in Seattle, mom's girlfriend's son, right? So a friend of a friend's kid or a friend's kid is in a business program at the University of Washington. And he has to do a project or a paper where he has to build a company from scratch. And, um, And he uses my mom's blind company as the template for his business. Kind of a starting point. Well, through that focus testing of trying to figure out the name for his company, uh-huh. Bloom and Blinds was the name that wow. tested best in, for his paper. And that's the name of the company that he used for his paper. So mom gets to Dallas. Blind Ambitions is not available. She's got six days to pivot. Bloom and Blinds is what comes out of her tongue or off, out of her mouth. And so we became Bloom and Blinds because of some 21-year-old kid at the University of Washington found it resonated on the university campus. Now, wait, did, did he like own the rights to the ad? No, or he were never there trademarked it. Okay. I was going to say, is he getting his royalties <laughs> yeah. now? He should. If he looks us up, <laughs> let me know. Yeah, does he even, do you know if he knows? That I have she's, no idea who he yeah. was. Yeah. This is, yeah. You know, this is one of those stories that came out long ago. Truth is, we franchised before I trademarked it. Wow. Rookie mistake. But fortunately, no issues. Got it covered. That's but awesome. Yes, don't build a franchise unless you're going to franchise your name first or yeah. trademark your name first. Wow. So, so the company started in 2001. Tell us how you got involved then, because initially when you were at home and she was operating the business in Seattle, you weren't really into it. So how did it evolve now that you and both of your brothers right. are active and involved in this business? So when mom moved to Dallas, um, she filed the paperwork. It's an interesting part of our story. Um, she filed the business incorporation paperwork on the day of 9-11. Oh, wow. The day that it actually happened, 9-11-2001. Yeah. So we, that was one of the last pieces of work that got done before they closed down the office. So Bloom and Blind's birth date is 9-11. Oh, wow. Which is kind of interesting, but it's also great because we know what it's like to launch a business in a recession, in a slowdown, in a moment where everyone's panicking. Um, and, And our model happened to do well in that environment because it's got this maintenance component. So... Mom starts off intending to be a one-woman show. Uh, Within about two months, uh, she came down with a really bad rash, covered her head to toe. Probably doesn't want me to share that. But um, she went to my younger brother, Chris, the middle one, and said, Chris, I can't go. I need you to go. No training, no experience, no understanding of what he's doing, and a Chevy Lumina. (laughs) (laughs) So... I'm sure he wanted to drive that. Yes. Super excited about the Lumina. So he takes a tub of parts and a ladder and sticks it out the back of the Lumina. And off Chris goes to run appointments, having no idea that morning that that's what he was going to be doing. Wow. And he's never stopped. It's He's been in since. So, um, so again, we're end of 2001, 
June 2000. No, I come down for Christmas and I come to see the family at that time. I'm still living in Washington. And um, I saw the sea of houses that is Dallas Fort Worth. And in Washington state, they don't build them like that. You know, you have an acre among, you know, I grew up on 10 acres. Wow. So knowing that they're in home service, I see all the windows, I see all the houses and the rooftops and I'm amazed and I'm like, oh yeah, they got something here. And so my eyes are rolling like they're like some casino, you know, like a, like a jackpot. Yeah, slot machine. Exactly. (laughs) I'm thinking money, 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 man. This is awesome. (laughs) So I pack up all my stuff and by June I'm living in Texas with the intent to come to work with the family business. Now, is uh, that, okay, there's three of you. So are two of the brothers already here or just Chris? The two were already here. Two. So when mom announced that she's moving to Dallas, the other two weren't doing anything significant. Okay. So, so are they still at home in school or had they already graduated high school? Um, at that point, well, none of us, at that point, we've all graduated from high school. Okay. And for record keeping, none of us have graduated from college. Okay. Okay. Yep. I have enough credits to be a surgeon. <laughs> not in the same direction, not in the same <laughs> vein. Um, and the other boys had a short stint, but that didn't last too long for them. We're all very entrepreneurial. That yeah. Um, so I get down in June and say, hey, mom, I'm ready to come work for you. And at that point, the business was doing two, $3,000 a month tops. And so mom says, great, love the idea, but you got to build yourself a job. Mm. You got to bring in enough revenue to pay yourself. Okay. How should I do that? I don't know. You figure it out. So off I went. I'm this, the talker. So I took off thinking I'm going to do sales. I'm trying trying to chase down big buildings and see if I can do blind cleaning contracts. All I did was remind them that janitorial companies weren't doing a very good job. So I didn't make any money there. Um, slowly got into enough knowledge that I could start selling blinds at the houses and things like that. We started picking up the revenue. And shortly after I got here, well, about six months after I got here, I started dating my now wife of 17 years. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. But I remember telling her, when we do $10,000 a month, I think I can get a paycheck at $200 a week. That took nine months. And wow. you kept, she kept dating you and you're now married <laughs> yep. after you told her at that. At that point, I was a bartender. <laughs> I was still had some way of, you know, contributing to the relationship financially. Um, and so it took nine months. I had to work nine months for free, trying to build, trying to figure out my way, trying to learn this new industry. And slowly I did get that $200 a week paycheck. Wow. And now you're the CEO. And now you're the CEO. That's because I'm mom's kid, I think. Maybe there's more to it than that. But I'm sure there's more to it than that. Because (laughs) you you made a point that you had to earn your way. You had to earn your living. It wasn't just because you were her son that she was going to bring you on and hire you. You had to prove yourself. So that leads me into the question about families that get into business together and potentially, um, you know, baby boomer parents that might want to invest in a business with and for their adult children. What kind of experiences have you had within your organization and what kind of advice do you give maybe families considering this path? You bet. So family business is a different topic than say paying for your child to have a business. I'll I'll head towards the paying your child to have a business at first. I call this the shiny bike problem, right? If you, if you, if your child's first bike is a bright, beautiful, shiny bike Mm. that they did nothing to earn, they're going to throw it on the ground. Yeah. Okay. Same with the business. And we've had that in our organization. We had a dad 
who went out and bought his son four territories, uh, gave him a guaranteed salary. Oh, wow. Um, and then left him alone because he wanted his son to have the experience of learning how to build a business, but didn't, didn't want to participate as a, as a mentor and <laughs> didn't establish the expectation with the son that we were to be the mentors. Mm -hmm. And um, over the course of four years, the dad kept that propped up, kept putting money into it, hundreds of thousands of dollars later. And ultimately, um, it came to a point where he told his son, look, this is my last cash infusion, I'm not putting any more money into this. You either have to go to work or it's going to crumble. And the son still sat on the couch, let it crumble and filed BK on everybody. Oh. Wow. So the failure resulted just around the son not caring and not putting the effort in. He was so, I, well, you know, if, if you asked him if he'd care, he'd pass the test. He would answer the question right on the test. But actions speak louder than words in a lot of times. Sure. And the grit wasn't there and the hustle and the drive because right. his paycheck kept showing up. Yeah. So easy. He wasn't, right. yeah. yeah, he wasn't hungry. And he didn't have anything in his youth that, I mean, at the time, the kid was 23 years old. I mean, he's still very young in the evolution of a person. Oh, yeah. You know, and... He just, I couldn't get him. In fact, we now have a national call center. This location is the reason that I, that we built a call center because their answer rate was 9%. Oh, wow. 9% of the time this guy would answer his phone. So do you think as a franchisor, you learned a valuable lesson from that experience? Well, I certainly learned to caution that experience when I hear parents talk about it in the future. So multiple times I've used this story as a, I'm not so sure that's a good idea. Um, I have yet to be presented with it again to that degree. Good. Right? Yeah. Um, sometimes I hear candidates say something like, well, I'm, I'm looking for my wife. My immediate follow-up question is, does your wife know that? Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> Just because you're wife, right. doesn't mean they are. Well, I've found that too. You know, one spouse thinks the other spouse should be working or doing something, but that spouse doesn't necessarily think <laughs> no. that. Right. And um, that's not a, a good combination no. either. I've actually got myself in trouble multiple times for that because I'm overly ambitious. I think, oh, it's an idea. Surely we can do it. And mm -hmm. I don't have the bandwidth. So, of course, I intend to sign my wife up. Uh -huh. And so there have been, over the course of those, what is it, 17 years, 19 years together, um, probably four or five different things that I've invested money in. I actually have learned that I sell her on the idea. So I get her momentarily ambitious. Uh, that's my new favorite word, momentarily, momentarily ambitious. It's, ambitious. It's that season when you're more ambitious than you really are as a person. <laughs> yeah, I think we've all been there. Yep. Well, and some of that probably comes from your good salesmanship, and you probably talk it up and don't give all the details. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. she finds out what you really got her into, Kelsey. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's exactly what has happened. So I've stopped. I've had to learn to stop pitching ideas, and I've had to just sit back and let her do whatever she loves doing instead of what I want her to love doing. Yes, yes. And, Smart man. And she's happy now. Yeah. She's a school teacher running a gifted and talented program, and oh, she's fun. out of her mind happy. So Good. all I had to do was quit getting in her way. That's awesome. <laughs> um, well, I would love to talk. You mentioned family business and yeah. family dynamic. Mm -hmm. So you are the oldest of three boys. Right. You are the CEO. Then you have a brother, Chris, that is the chief development officer. Am I right on that? Correct. And then your younger brother, Kevin, 
is the chief technical officer. Right. So I want to hear about how that works out with the three of you. Um, is it the same now as it was when you guys first started? And what advice could you maybe give families that are looking at being in business together? I have a, I have a question at the very beginning of that, though. I'm sure you guys didn't start out in those positions. So did was there any pecking order trying to figure out who was going to fill those positions? And were there any fights around that? <laughs> I don't even know if I could use words right now. I want to laugh so much. Yes. Um, okay, so early days, it's mom and three boys. That's the entire company. Okay, so it's me. A year and a half later, there's Chris. And then four years below Chris, or six between me, is Kevin. Okay, okay. three boys, all alphas in their own way. And um, so we started off going out and being the work mom got really excited about having three very capable underpaid individuals who can go out and run these appointments. So I'm sure there was a lot of pride in that for her. Like she started this business and her three sons are now involved and um, interested and those things. Yeah. What, what parent doesn't build a business hoping someday their kids will come play with them. And she got all three, all three. Right. Like that's like the jackpot. That's like hitting a home run on your first at bat. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, we're, we're all working together in different capacities. Now, we all have different things that we're kind of good at, but at that point, we're still pretty young. Like, we're mid-20s to 30, you know, 30 years old. And the pecking order it was what made me chuckle because we all wanted to be in the front of the line. We all had our ideas of how it should be done. There weren't any systems and processes. We just were going out there and doing it and kind of making it up as we go. But even how you clean a blind or how you wrap one or how you label them when you take them out of the house. There was no systematic approach. So we just kind of did whatever, like I did my personal preference and he did his personal. And, and then the other one's like, well, why didn't you do mine? Or I like his better. And then the, the, you know, it just goes all over the place. It was chaotic, but it was family. And what has always been a common thread for us is this is what we're doing. And you protect your family first. So we knew we were coming back tomorrow. If we were going to leave, I knew I was going to put them in jeopardy. If they left, they knew that I couldn't do some of the things they do. And this still remains today. But we knew that we were coming back. And really what that did is that helped temper or helped um, those family squabbles be a bit more controlled. Because if you went totally nuclear and you blew the whole thing up, you got to come back and sit in it tomorrow. Mm, yeah. And so it, it kind of controls how much damage you do yep. because as a brother, you know exactly how to push that button. Like you, you've mastered that art and they've mastered mine. But if you push it too much, then you got to deal with the repercussions. So you learn to fight your battles without going nuclear. Okay. Yeah. And we got to protect mom. We got to protect, like, as we had kids, there's, there's other people involved And so we would have our squabbles, whether it be outside or in the van or over the phone. But the moment you put us in a house in front of a customer, hey, buddy, how you doing? Oh, I'm great. Good to see you. And you put on the show because you're in service. And we were all very, very good at that, no matter how brutal it got outside the house. It was what it was supposed to be inside the house. That's really good though. Cause that you could pull that off. Yeah. That you could pull that off for sure. Oh yeah. As soon as the job was done, it was, you know, a whole long list of expletives you've been holding in and everyone goes their separate ways. (laughs) 
So did you guys have some kind of aha moment when you were like, okay, let's all just pick a lane and stay in that lane or? It wasn't a distinct moment, but it definitely happened. And we know what it was as we got busier. So we started growing and ultimately we grew this business into a $3 million a year business. So before the franchise. Wow. So we're a good size window covering company. There may be a hundred, 200 window covering companies in the U S that ever get that big. And there's some that are even bigger. Um, so we had a good amount of volume and what that allowed us to do is separate our responsibilities. So I'm the talker, I'm the sales and marketing guy. So I started doing all the sales and figuring out how to market the business. And while I, while I sought out opinions and, um, feedback from everyone else, ultimately that was my box to lead. Um, Chris is the middle one, very technically oriented, understands the little details really well. And so the installation and what evolved into motorization and some of the technical components of the business, that was really his thing. So we began to adopt how he wanted things done on a systematic level. Chris was really the developer of all most of the systems inside the Bloom and Blinds business. And then Kevin um, ended up gravitating towards the repairs. He loved the puzzle of repairs, finding the parts, being able to fix things that no one else could fix. And he became extraordinarily good. I mean, he's like a ninja at this stuff. And so because of the volume, it started pulling us in different directions, which were probably our natural skill sets. Right. And that began to give us the space where we stopped overlapping. And then to make it even a little bit better, we began to trust each other in that space. So trust is obviously huge. How do y'all make your decisions? (laughs) This is great. With three brothers, how do you get your decisions made? Yeah. And, and, you know, you take the CEO and the CDO and CTO, and really we do that because the the corporate world responds to those labels. Correct. The truth is we run this company as a triad. There's the three of us, and we all sit peer to peer. Our desks literally touch in a triangle and have for six years. Wow. Um, Decision-making is pretty simple. When two agree, the matter is settled. Gotcha. And if you're on the losing end, get over it. Right. And that could be $100,000 contracts, and it could be the color of a T-shirt that we wear at a conference. Wow. Um, and that one bit me in the tail about two months ago. Yeah, yeah, you shared a story that you came down in a different shirt, and there was just no discussion, and you went and changed. Yeah. To, I, I, wanted, I wanted the pink shirt. They wanted the black shirts. I'm the friend dev guy. Like, I thought I had some authority in the matter. And then Chris says, will you honor a vote? And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) and so I said, yes. And so they agreed on black and upstairs I went to go change my shirt. Wow. I mean, even something as simple as a t-shirt, like, and, but you can't pick and choose when you honor that. Right. If you're going to run your business by, you have to have integrity behind it and you have to trust the process that has gotten you this far. So I'm curious, um, how you got from this growing business as you shared and how you each got stayed in your lane and grew the business. What made you become a franchise? When did you, how did you decide to do that? And how long have you been a franchise? Okay. Well, we've been a franchise for six years now that we're in 2022 for anyone who's watching this, you know, cause I'm sure it will circulate forever. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, your podcast, my episode. <laughs> not so much. Okay. Um, so we didn't franchise for 10 years after I started daydreaming about it. Wow. My parents have always been entrepreneurs, but they've always been the ones at the register. They've always been the ones that if they weren't working, if we were on vacation, we weren't making money. And I, I, I like the entrepreneurial life, 
but I also recognize the cost or the weight of being an owner operator. And so I've always wanted the empire. I always thought that that was really important. Didn't always know how to do it, but I always wanted it. So I began to get ingrained in Bloom and Blinds, start to you know find my path and decide this is where I'm going to live. And I start daydreaming about how we make this bigger. And you know we're a family unit. It's going well. I, we fight periodically, but I get to work with my family. Mm-hmm. Like I talk to my family 10 times a day. There are some people that don't talk to their family 10 times a decade. Mm-hmm. And this is awesome. So I love it. I'm not going anywhere. So our two main choices for growth and exponential growth were either company stores in other major cities, because at that point we were servicing all of DFW, even Fort Worth. We were driving all over the place. So in my mind, it was, I'm in Dallas. Do I need to go to Austin or Houston or Oklahoma City or Kansas City? Like what other major market can we get to and how do we get there? At that point, we had, at our our peak, we had 10 employees Um, and none of them were viable to go send out and lead a new location. So then it was like, okay, are we going to send one of the boys? No, well, now we're breaking up the family mm-hmm. unit. And didn't want to do that. Didn't want to try and um, deal with the capital requirements that were needed for that. And franchising offers the opportunity for brand growth without some of those restrictions. And um, so franchising it was. It was either break up the family or teach other people how to do it and manage the control issues that you have. So now that you're a franchisor, what do you look for in a franchisee? It's evolved over time. In the beginning, we look for people just like us. Mm-hmm. Probably a very much a common rookie entrepreneur or franchisor mistake is we're entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneurs don't belong in a system. They belong creating systems. Yes. And so we've learned that that was not the, the path. Now, I love recipe followers. We use the word recipe constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite analogy is if you want the cake to look like the one on the box, don't mess with the recipe, right? Um, so right now I love system followers. I love people who embrace systems and processes and recipes and see them as a point of strength instead of a limiter of their freedoms. Um, I need someone who's, um, well, in our particular industry, I need a great presenter. I need someone to lead a team, whether it be in the house because they're doing the work or because they have employees, but I need a leader, a presenter, a motivator, somebody who has a high motor that can show people, um, the pace in which we want to run the world. It's not even just do the job, but how do you live your life? There's mm-hmm. a pace that goes with entrepreneurship um, and mentors. Uh, we have a heart to teach. We are really good at this industry, and we are doing this with the greatest joy of sharing it. And so a franchisee that just wants to buy the logo and be left alone is really a heartbreaking situation because we don't get to share, and they're not going to make as much no. money. So we really appreciate someone who really leans into that mentorship. And I, like in training, we're telling them all the time, like if you don't know 100% in your heart what the answer is, call us. We've built a really robust support system and most of it's just on-demand call in and you got a live person on the phone. And so for us, it's incredibly easy to get that support. And, um, and it breaks my heart when they don't do it because it's lost opportunity in all areas. That's awesome. And you're right. It is lost opportunity. It's sad. Um, and that's the best way to fail is by not, by not following that system. It's got to be number one yeah. of the reasons yeah. why a franchise owner would fail. Yeah. So if somebody wants to get a hold of you and, and 
reach out, learn more about Bloom and Blinds or about you, whatever the case may be, how do they find you? You know, I'll answer that, but I want to point out that there's a lot of franchises out there, mm -hmm. and just because I have a good idea doesn't mean it's the only good idea. And so really a tour guide or somebody who can help evaluate your personal needs and your goals, uh, even past your momentary um, ambition, mm -hmm. right? Like who are you really and how is it really going to fit with a brand? So um, we are huge fans of franchise consultants. And so if you're interested in Bloom and Blinds, honestly, I think you need a tour guide outside of the system to help you understand if that's really the best fit. I'd point them right back to you guys. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. We really appreciate you taking time out. We know you're busy and it's really been a lot of fun to hear how your company got started and how it evolved and um, the dynamic between the three brothers. My husband is the oldest of three. And so um, I kind of can relate to what you're sharing about that um, experience, but they are not in a business together and it's best kept that way. So, <laughs> and, and the, from the only child, um, yeah, so I didn't have to deal with any of that. <laughs> but thank you, Kelsey. We really appreciate you coming on, sharing your story with us, and, and hopefully that encourages some folks out there that are thinking about this that want to hear these stories. So for those of you that are listening, thank you so much. I'm Roxanne Rapsky, R-A-P-S-K-E, and my colleague, Sarah Wasco, Sarah with no H, W-A-S-K-O-W. You can find us on LinkedIn. Please reach out, connect with us. We're happy to chat with you, answer any questions you have. You can also find us on FranNet.com and on our YouTube channel at FranNet of Dallas, Fort Worth, and Oklahoma. And finally, you can find Unpredicted Entrepreneur on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh -huh.